I've spent 12,000 hours on dating apps across every single demographic. So I have learned so much. And unknowingly, I've been doing this scientific experiment saying, here's my hypothesis. I'm going to test it out to see if it works. That's Meredith Golden, an online dating expert who commands a fee of as much as $2,000 a month from her clients. I'm your host, Patrick McGinnis, and this is FOMO Sapiens, part of the HBR Presents Network. Allow me to introduce myself. I'm the guy who invented the term FOMO. That's short for fear of missing out. Today, FOMO is an epidemic and is changing us so much that it sort of feels like we're evolving into a new species. But FOMO doesn't have to take over your life. You can find the power to choose what you actually want and the courage to miss out on the rest. I'll show you how right here on FOMO Sapiens. FOMO. FOMO. Welcome to FOMO Sapiens, the show where I interview people who are changing the world and ask them how they choose from among the many opportunities and options in their busy lives. Today, we're going to dive headfirst into a messy, complicated, and sometimes crazy world, online dating. And our guide will be one of the people who seems to have figured it all out. Her name is Meredith Golden, and she's the founder of Spoon Meet Spoon, where her clients pay her as much as $2,000 a month to ghostwrite for them and then manage their profiles on dating apps like Hinge and Bumble. Why would someone pay that kind of money for Meredith's services? The answer is pretty simple. She gets results. When Meredith takes over a client's account, their match rates increase by up to 50%, and she estimates that after working with her, around 70% of her clients end up in a relationship if they follow her rules. And as you'll see, there are definitely rules. Every dating interaction represents a decision, some tiny, some not so tiny, that will determine whether you match and move forward in your quest for love. And Meredith has rules for all of these micro and macro decisions. Now, for those of you who are not on the dating scene, you're going to find this episode fascinating, but you can also use Meredith's rules outside of the dating spectrum, for example, on LinkedIn. So even if you're happily coupled, this episode has something for you. Then stick around for the full moment of the show when I'll be talking to the Reading Ninja, aka New York City's literary vandal, who is using Instagram and social media to convince kids that reading is rad. It's going to be a great show, so you will not want to miss out. And to make sure that you never miss out on all things FOMO Sapiens, make sure to text FOMO to 66866 and subscribe to my newsletter, What Did I Miss? Okay, let's get on with the show. FOMO. Meredith Golden, welcome to FOMO Sapiens. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure to have you here. I want to start, like I always do, with the same question I ask every guest. Everybody feels a little FOMO sometimes, so what turns you into a FOMO Sapiens? Uh, A great concert. I'm always so mad when I can't go. Why can't you go? I've got kids, I'm working, I've got a husband, I have to do homework, I have to feed the kids dinner. I'm so busy. And then sometimes I get to miss things like Fleetwood Mac and then have serious fear of missing out. Okay, Fleetwood Mac. Actually, that prov- you just provoked FOMO in me as well. Yeah, it was good. I saw all the pictures on social media and I was angry. <laughs> okay, so I want to tell our listeners a little bit more about you. So there was a great article about you in the New York Times and the title of the article was You Match with Somebody Really Great Online. This is her ghostwriter. Meredith Golden charges a small clientele $2,000 a month to help them win a dating app. So that's provocative, right? I mean, if you read that, you're like, what is going on in the city of New York? So tell us about your business, Boom Meets Boom, and your dating expert. What do you do for your clients? Why do they come to you? People come to me because they need help. Just like any other area of life, we all struggle. Dating is one of those areas where people just don't know what to do. doesn't mean that there's something wrong with them. doesn't mean that they're not bright. doesn't mean that they're inept at life. It just means that it's not where they figured it out. Or sometimes things come easily to 
some people in the dating area. And for those who haven't found their partner and then they're struggling or flailing, that's where they reach out to me. I help people do things more efficiently. I help clients save time. I help clients put their best foot forward. And often someone will come to me just to learn what to do, to get a tutorial, to figure out, oh, those are the three things, those are the areas that I should change. And then they see the results fairly quickly, and they think that was so simple. I don't know why I didn't think of it. But it's hard to see from the outside. It's easier to see from the outside. It's hard to see when you're in it. Right, because nowadays, I mean, for those, we have plenty of listeners who are like, I'm not dating anybody. You know, I've been married or for 5, 10, whatever number of years, but the world has changed. So tell us about what dating is like in today's world. Like, what's going on out there? The traditional way or what was considered the traditional way of meeting is no longer how people meet. The norm now is meeting on the apps. It is the most bang for your buck. It is the way to vet the most amount of people, connect with, with the most amount of people, and actually meet the most amount of people in real life in the shortest amount of time. So when you're meeting someone, you're not showing up for a two-hour meal. You're showing up for a 30-minute coffee, 45 minutes for a drink. If the person's awful, you exit nicely, but don't waste your time. you got to get out of there. Where do you start? It depends with the client. Everyone needs something different. So my first question to a client is, well, how much time do you have? If they have time to do the swiping and messaging by themselves, which, by the way, it's not six hours a day. It's 30 minutes Monday through Thursday split up into two sessions. Friday morning is five minutes, and you're off on Saturday and Sunday. So if a client has the time, I'm like, you don't need to pay me to do that. What I really diagnose is, do you have a low match rate? And if the answer is yes, then they need a new profile. Do you have a low match rate, and do you have trouble converting conversations to meet? If they do, then they need coaching. Okay, and so for how do you even figure that out? Like what... I guess you work with enough clients now that you have a sense of what is like a, a, a good a good comp in the market? I do. And also people report accurately. So someone will say, no one matches with me. I'll say, oh, you were on Bumble? How many matches do you get a day? Three? Oh. And it depends on the gender. If it's a woman only getting three matches, they have a low match rate. If it's a guy getting three matches a day, he's doing well. It depends also uh, where they live, which apps they're on. Sometimes someone will tell me they're on some app that I have never even heard of. And during my intake form, I ask everyone which apps they have used in the past and what they're currently using. So across the United States, Canada, and England, I have a great sense of who's on what where. And if someone mentions some niche app, I'm like, no wonder why you're not matching with anyone. No one's on that app. Um, we have to switch it up. But it really depends where the client is. Or I'll say, you know what, why don't we do dating diagnosis? I'll give you directions. We'll have a call. If you feel like you need more support later, come back. We can do the coaching. Most people don't need it. Some think they don't need it, and then they wait too long, and then they come back. And I'm like, oh, you just wasted all this inventory. So frustrating. But then they get coaching, and they change their behavior with someone looking over their shoulder, seeing the stuff that they can't see. And then they yield positive results, which I love. What are the big mistakes that people are making on their online dating? There's so many mistakes. The ones that irk me the most are the eager beavers. So remember that I am both men and women of every demographic, and I see both ends of what's happening. So if I'm sending a message at 10.01, and then the person responds back at 10.02, and I'm like, what are you doing? It's not attractive. Is no one else writing you that you're writing back to the only person that has written you? Play it chill. Respond back later. Pause a little bit in between. Look, Make it look like you have something else going on. Um, the people who write nothing in their profile, they think that it's not a big deal, but the real issue is the other single has nothing to go off of to stimulate a conversation, to convert that exchange into a, hey, let's get together. 
it feels stressful to initiate that conversation because you're just looking at four pictures going, huh, you're wearing sunglasses. What brand are those sunglasses? I mean, there's nothing to chat about. It's really awkward. Not having good pictures. I'll have clients who think that it's the best picture that has ever been taken of them. And then I'll scroll through their social media and I'm like, see that one right there? That's a beautiful picture of you. We can see your face. You're smiling. You look happy. That one that you posted with, you know, 16 guys in the pool at Vegas, we can't tell which one's you. Um, people just don't know. And again, it's not that they're not bright. It's not that they're, there's something wrong with them. But this isn't what they do all day long. So they don't know how to stand out and how to present themselves in an attractive way. Now, you, you mentioned that you work with both men and women. Do you ever yeah. have, have you ever been on both sides of a dating transaction where you basically, you're going through one person's app and you, and you realize it's your, your client on the other side? If two people that I know, and even not necessarily a client, if it's someone who I know just from life and it, you know they bump into one of my clients on the app, I'll ask the client if they're interested subtly. I never say that both are clients. And if they both say yes, I'll say, hey, I want to set you up with my friend. Whether or not they know, I don't know. They never state it, but everyone goes along with it. And what about, do you, as you're going through this, you're seeing a lot of data. I imagine you start seeing the same people over and over, and you see people who you maybe say, like, this is just a bad person. Like, do you have a do not date list? And I have what a gets creep you list. on that list? I have a creep list. Um, to get on my creep list, it is not a big list, but it is enough of people who have done really not criminal activity, but people who are just wildly inappropriate. They've done things that are cringeworthy, showing up on a date, making racist comments, um, berating someone for their political views, showing up 45 minutes late and not apologizing when they get there. Um, it's egregious behavior. Do you have a codified list of rules that you give people? Or yeah. How to, okay. You so betcha. I know that that's probably, you know, highly proprietary, but will yes. you give us a couple of really good dating rules that, you know, that, that they give us a taste of, of what you're working with? My female clients, and I'm very much so a feminist, but I insist to my clients that when they are on the dating apps, if the guy hasn't pulled the trigger to ask out, and I like the guy to pull the trigger, because people often say, well, who pays? It's the person who extends the invitation. So I want the guy to extend the invitation. It's very clear that he's the one paying. It's a cup of coffee. It is a glass of wine. It is not a $600 meal. They're not going to Paris and taking a private jet for the night. So I will always say to the client, they have to ask out. And they really have 10 days. And if the single isn't pulling the trigger after 10 days, you do a little nudge. I have two methods of a nudge. Both work extremely well, in my humble opinion. The first nudge is you state that you're going away. Hey, sorry, I can't write a long message right now. I'm packing. I'm running to the airport, blah, blah, blah. Can't wait to go to Charlotte. Nobody ever said that, by the way, in the history of the world, just kidding, Charlotte. Right. (laughs) Going wherever and, you know, looking forward to a great long weekend and I'm coming back Tuesday and you insert the date to which the guy will say, oh, that's great. Why don't we get together when you get back? If they're not extending the invitation from that nudge, they're sitting on their couch doing who knows what with who knows who and they are not extending an invitation. They're married. They're in a relationship. They're on their app to fill their ego to take up some time when they're bored at work, they're not going to ever pull the trigger. Or they're seeing 16 other people and they don't have room on their roster to date anyone else. So move on from that. The other nudge I do is whatever the person says, it's you answer the question. If someone says, you know, where are you hoping to go on vacation? I'm hoping to go to Aruba. Oh, I feel like I'm starting to sound a little boring on Hinge. I'm more fun in person. Dot, dot, dot. 
At that point, the person pulls the trigger. Hey, let's meet in person. Again, same thing. If they're not pulling the trigger, move on. Free up the space. Move on. You only have so much time and so many people that you can engage with because, again, singles aren't spending 16 hours on the apps. You've got 30 minutes. Someone's not meeting you halfway and you're not going to meet them, then it's a wasted opportunity. And this really goes to one of the things we talk a lot about in this show, which is this culture of FOBO or fear of a better option, this idea that people are waiting, they're collecting their options. It's like, let me keep swiping forever and I will never, ever, ever actually move on all of these things. And what you're giving us with these nudges is a strategy to get people beyond the FOBO to actually take action on these things. Because that's why are you on the app if you're never going to actually move on to a date, right? Yes. And another thing, it's feast and famine. So when someone, after I've created a new profile, which is a strong profile, even if someone isn't the most attractive person in the room, I know how to put their best attributes forward. And so their match rate will increase and they will have more opportunities. But when this happens with someone who hasn't had a great match rate, they think it's going to last forever. And I had this conversation yesterday with a client who I guess wasn't doing so well before. I mean, now he's got like 16 meets a week. And I'm like, slow down, boy. Too much. But he's not leaving room for second dates. So everyone who he's meeting, he's like, well, I want to see who else is coming along. I'm like, no, but remember you went out with Amy two weeks ago and you never asked her on a second date? You had so much fun. You're missing out because you think that there's so many other people coming. I'm telling you, we're in month two. This is going to die down soon, and you're going to be wishing that you went out on second dates with half the people that you met in the past six weeks. Ominous but true. Now, Meredith, what's interesting to me is you're a, a married mother of two. I am. And you're living in this world of singleton. So like, how did you get into this business in the first place? I love helping people. Um I've always set people up for sport. I've always been that friend who would listen to a friend cry when they were frustrated. They haven't met someone. I'd always instinctively been a super connector. Oh, you want to meet someone? Sure. You want a new job? Let me connect you to this person. Oh, you're looking for a tutor? Here you go. Here's my list of resources. I just thought that everyone does this naturally, but apparently (laughs) it's not. Something that people instinctively think to offer of themselves. It's just time. So if I have a minute to help someone out, I certainly will. And then in the dating space, I was doing it for friends. I had a bunch of people who I set up and, you know, they got married because of me. They're still married. They've had kids. And I was feeling a little antsy at home with my kids and needed something to do. My little had gone to preschool and I had two extra hours in the day. I thought, what am I good at? And I sent a text to my friends saying, hey, guys, what should I do with my life? Sort of as a joke, like, haha, I'm clueless how to navigate my next step in life. And I was like, should I be a soul cycle instructor? By the way, I'm not that good on soul cycle that ever I would ever <laughs> make it to instructor status, to which my friends wrote back, uh, no, you should be a matchmaker. And then they'd all started chiming in. You found my husband. You found my husband too. You set me up with two great relationships. I was like, oh yeah, I forgot about all those. So I thought, what is? what can I do to be a matchmaker? You know, then it was 2015, 2016, because the model is a little antiquated. And I did some research and found that there were 70 million singles on the dating apps. And it seemed like a no-brainer. And I just got going really quickly. And I've learned so much. I'm starting year five in January. I'm in the apps. I have spent, I calculated the other day, because I'm writing a book proposal, I've spent 12,000 hours on dating apps across every single demographic. So I have learned so much. And knowingly, I've been doing this scientific experiment saying, here's my hypothesis. I'm going to test it out to see if it works. That's how I figured out my nudges because I did it on so many people and realized that if the person doesn't respond 
after the nudge, they're never going to. Because for a little bit, I was like, oh, let me give them a second chance and see what they do. Never pull the trigger. Um, but that's how I ended up doing what I was doing. And then I've spent you know, these past years really perfecting the art. I work 12 hours a day. Um, and not like 12 hours with two shopping for shoes on Zappos. Like I'm legitimately spending 12 hours a day working. I love my clients. It's They pay me. And it's really important for me to deliver. But I have varying packages. So not everyone am I ghostwriting for. Someone's just might come to me. They need some help with their match rate. And then they get a profile written. Or they may come to me needing a little bit more. So I'll give them a diagnosis and look through their hinge and see where they were making mistakes and where there's room for improvement. And I will give them my rules. Here's how you proceed. You've been on the apps three hours a day. You're on six different apps. Are you crazy? No, that's way too much time. Read this, follow, come back if you need some help. But again, I'm helping people and I feel really good about that. What's fascinating about your story is I think a lot of us you know, we, we go through periods in time where we're thinking, what should I do with my life, right? And and oftentimes it's the people around us who are going to inform us, right? So you ask your friends. I mean, anybody who knows you, this was quite evident to them that you should be doing this, but you couldn't hadn't quite figure it out yourself. You started doing this part-time, and as we talk a lot about on the show, start part-time, figure it out, doesn't make sense, and you can ramp it up. And now you have a thriving business. Now, I have to also imagine you get a little pushback because people will say, how can a person hire somebody who is not them to run their dating apps? How can that be authentic? Like it seems like maybe it's even misrepresentation. So I'm sure you've heard that before. How do you how do you come back to that to that sort of criticism? So let's say that Bob hires me. Bob hasn't been putting his best foot forward and Bob has not been truthful. Bob has been using pictures that are over a decade old, 30 pounds ago, and saying that he's four inches taller about it than his actual height. Everyone who is seeing Bob, once I have been brought on to help Bob, is winning because I am not using Bob's better looking neighbor. I am making sure that Bob is saying where he really went to school, what his actual job is. And I am making Bob pick people who are appropriate for him. So saying he never would have went out with Sally I'm encouraging him to go out with Sally. Hey, I think Sally looks like a good human being. Okay, maybe she's not your physical look. Maybe she's not as attractive as you typically pick. But you know what? Look what she brings to the table. Why don't you just meet her? And then Sally benefits. Sally gets this guy, Bob, showing up who actually looks like his pictures. The information is accurate. And then they get to meet. The other thing about the work that I do, you're not dating on the apps. You're literally connecting. Oh, you play tennis? Me too. Where do you play? Oh, I play outdoors. Do you ever play in the winter? Uh, once a month I play in the winter. Do you ski? Yeah, I ski. No, I don't ski, but I want to ski. Any travel plans? Yeah, I'm planning to go to Israel. Blah, blah, blah. Like, there's no lying because that's the information. And all that data is on the intake form that I have from the client. So the exchanges are shallow. No one's writing paragraphs. It's just connecting. And I'm turning over to the client at some point saying, do you want to pull the trigger and ask Sarah out? Yeah, I do. Okay, She's been asked out. She said yes. And then client takes over and they schedule and they usually move off app and they have a little chatting. The way someone presents on an app is not always the way that they present in real life. In fact, it's more typical that that's not how they present. Or someone's really boring on an app, but you think, eh, whatever. No one's asked me out in a month. This person asked me out. I'll just go. And that's the people who hit it off. And it's, oh, he's really funny in real life, but he's really horrible on the apps. And then the other person realizes, oh, he just had no game, right? You don't really know, which is why I always encourage, just go meet someone. Quick math. 
The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, or delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you improve efficiency by bringing all major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move, so do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. And with rising prices everywhere you look, you got to do the math and save money. Good news, by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. So head over to NetSuite.com slash FOMO. That's NetSuite.com slash FOMO. NetSuite.com slash FOMO. So what you really do in a macro sense, and we kind of talked about this before, is you help people to put their best foot forward online on an app. But this can really translate to all kinds of different places online. It could be the bio on your website. It could be the photo of the founder of the team. It could be your LinkedIn profile. So, like, as you think about it, for the, for the listeners who, who are saying, like, uh, you know, I, I want to do this, but I want to do this for my professional uh, sort, of, sort of profile, what, um, what is the key, what are the keys, I should say, to putting your best foot forward online? You have to sell yourself in a humble way. So you don't want to brag, but if you're really good at three things and you have three talking points, that's what you list. Don't be shy. If you went to a great school, sometimes people will admit it, oh, I don't want to look like I'm bragging. No, 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 you put it in. Because you know what? If you don't put where you went to school, then it looks like you didn't go to school. And people care. Someone might say, I only want to date someone who went to grad school. Okay, then you have to put in that you went to grad school. Don't leave that out. But it's the same for anything in life. Just because someone puts something on social media doesn't mean that's the ideal utopia. They're not living that that life that they're representing online. But you still have to make yourself look good. Doesn't Again, it's not lie. And when you're talking to someone in real life, you learn like, oh, yeah, that picture with the, with the family on the beach that looked perfect. Oh, yeah, the two-year-old had a meltdown 30 seconds later. And then the 11-year-old broke his arm four minutes after that. That's just how it goes. You have to put your best foot forward, always. Pictures. When somebody is picking their picture for their LinkedIn profile or, or they're on their website, you know, what kind of kind of attributes can people look for? How do they know that it's it's a good picture to put up there? I tell my clients that the first picture that they have on any dating app should also be the first picture that they have on LinkedIn for consistency. So when someone goes to Google them to make sure they are who they say they are, they can see right away, oh, it's the same exact picture. And it uh, confirms that they're not a liar or a sociopath. Pictures, you want to look friendly. You want to look nice. You want to present yourself as someone that you want to work with. Oh, yeah. You're not the person who's making that face that looks like a mugshot or a prison shot. You've seen those and you think, oof. And also, what does it say about someone's judgment when they post these horrible pictures of themselves where the camera's up their nostril and you could see the hair or like the chin's at a weird angle? And you know that's not what they really look like. But if someone looks like they don't care in presenting themselves, how do we know that they care about the work that they're doing? And, and the funny thing about, about all of these places, for example, LinkedIn, is the amount of times you see somebody who um, their picture is bad, 
or they're describing themselves as a visionary. Like the amount of people I've seen who are perfectly fine people, but they say they're a visionary. I mean, we can't have that many visionaries because if everybody's a visionary, you know, there'd be no room for, for the, the non-visionaries. Right. But the amount of people who put these things, not realizing what they're putting out to the world, you know, I would add, you know, show it to a couple of people. I mean, maybe you maybe you work with Meredith. Maybe you, you just show it to a couple of friends, but show it to people because the worst thing that can happen out there is you're pointing out a bad image of yourself online because guess what happens these days? Before I meet anybody, before you meet anybody, you go on Google and you look for them. And exactly what you're saying, if you're not consistent, if you're not putting out a, a brand, personal brand, and you know, I, 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 sometimes we talk about personal brand, it sounds so obnoxious, right? But at the reality, we live in a digital world and people are going to make snap judgments. You, know, you got three seconds to give somebody sort of the right information to make an initial sort of snap judgment about you. And if you don't do that, that's really your fault. So I, when I started my, my first company, I was very insecure about this. And I remember um, I was really insecure about when I would send people emails. I didn't want to, like you say, I didn't want to brag about myself and say like all the things that I had done. And so what I did is I created a website with a very nice bio page that had all the things about me. And I would say, oh, if you want to learn more about me, check out my website. I had created the narrative it was on my terms. I told you exactly what I wanted you to know about me, but it was presented in a way that I wasn't braggadocious. I was just giving you the information about me as if it were written by a third party. Right. And so there are all these great ways to present yourself to the world that doesn't um, undermine your credibility or, or undermine who you are as a person. Because at the end of the day, like all we really want to do is be liked and respected. And and, and, and in, in the pursuit of that, sometimes we can feel all the stress that, oh my goodness, like I, well, I'm afraid to tell people what I've done. And, and actually, that's just undermining yourself. In life, we all need a second set of eyes. Even when you wrote an essay in college, you had someone read it over before you turned it in. Doesn't mean the paper wasn't your work. Doesn't mean it's inauthentic. Just means you had a second set of eyes. Even like a, someone's performing surgery, right? There's someone else in the operating room making sure that everything is going as planned. It's hard to do everything on your own. It is. It's hard. And, you know, there are things that we don't even realize that from our biases or experiences that we think might be appropriate. And you put it out there and it may be even vocabulary that you've heard all your life and then you don't realize how somebody else will perceive that. So I think that's a really valuable thing to do. And then help somebody else out because – Pay it know, forward. Yeah, always. exactly. You got to – and you'll learn as you go along. Uh, Merritt, this has been super interesting. Um, I want to ask you, this is the show about finding the power to choose what you actually want and the courage to miss out on the rest. So what is your advice to our listeners? It's funny that you're asking me this because I'm someone who really floundered to find what gives me meaning and joy professionally. And I don't even see it as professional because it's just all in one. It's just such a big part of my life now. Just go for it. Try it. What's the worst thing that can happen? You fail. I'm not saying invest all of your money so that you can't feed and clothe your children. But maybe try 5% or try 10% and see where it goes. See if you have any traction. What's going to happen later on in life, 20 years from now, you're going to go, oh, yeah, that was my idea and I didn't do it. And look, he or she did it and blew up and it's this huge empire and I missed out. Just do it. Sage advice, and I agree. Uh, and I think 10% is a great place to start <laughs> for self-serving reasons. Uh, Meredith, uh, I usually ask people what they're missing out on as they build their business, but I'm going to switch it up today a little bit. When you when you look at your clients um, and, you know, they're out there in the dating world and they're on all these apps, like, what are they missing out on as they, as they look for that partner? When a lot of people come to me and I do my intake and I see what they've been doing, they'll tell me they're on six apps and they're spending three hours a day on the apps. And they're like, well, I'm scared I'm going to miss out fear of missing out on meeting this person or, you know, he's on this app and I'm not going over there and we're not going to connect. And I'll say, it's too much time. You're missing out on your gym time. You're missing out on meeting up with your friends. You're missing out on putting in the extra effort at work. You're missing out on your 
Netflix binge time. Just we all need stuff and you can't focus every single minute of the day on dating apps. Dating apps are fabulous and it's an amazing way to connect. And But, but the reason that they exist is that so you're efficient with your time, which is why I tell my clients, you're only on one app. You're only spending 30 minutes a day, Monday through Thursday. And then go out and live your life and free up the rest of the time to meet someone for a coffee and meet someone for a drink. And double up. You know, plan Tuesday and that's the night. You meet one person at 6, you meet the next person at 7.15, and then the other nights of the week, you're going to SoulCycle. You're having brunch. You're having dinner with your family. You're meeting a friend. You're seeing a concert. You're not missing out on Fleetwood Mac. Um, you're doing all the fun stuff you want to do. Right. And, and this goes for dating and this goes for looking for a job. Everything. And it goes to all of these things where you are out there trying to put something together and it is not going to happen overnight. And so you are not in it. This is not a sprint. It's a marathon. And you got to be kind to yourself and like not put all the pressure on yourself. And also ask for help. Ask your friends. Ask people to set you up. Ask them, what should I wear? Where should I meet? What should I talk about? Can you look over my app? Hey, can you take it over for a week? Maybe you'll pick someone new. Not everyone can hire me. But ask your friends to do it. Trust me, the married mom who is at home all day while her kids are at school, she'll gladly do it for you. Just make sure she's a good writer and she's got good judgment. So this is actually a perfect transition because some people who are listening may want actually to seek out your help. So for people who want to get in touch with you or if people just want to check out your Instagram and, and, and learn from you there, what's the best way to follow you? Get best way to follow me is Instagram at Marigolden, M-E-R-G-O-L-D-E-N, or check out my website, Spoon Meet Spoon. All right, Meredith, thanks for stopping by. Thanks for having me. So much fun. FOMO. Tudo bem, meus queridos FOMO sapiens? Now that right there was Portuguese. And as you know, I love speaking foreign languages. But I'm not alone. One in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list. If that's you, make 2024 the year you finally check it off that list with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, and delivered with conversation-based teaching so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Now, FOMO Sapiens, you know I speak four languages, and it takes work to stay on top of them, especially with French. C'est difficile. But with Babbel, I'm able to practice practical conversations that I can actually use in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash FOMO. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash FOMO. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash FOMO. Rules and restrictions may apply. And now it's time for the FOMO moment of the show, which is a time where I talk about FOMO and its role in pop culture, tell you about something that's giving me FOMO. And today I have a very special guest, the mysterious and elusive Reading Ninja. Reading Ninja, welcome to FOMO Sapiens. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, you sound so nice. You're not here, Ninja. I think you're going to beat me up. Nope, not this time. Wait, so, so what's your real name? I can't share that. I'm wow. sorry, we're anonymous. Okay, we're so ninjas. so what is the Reading Ninja? Who is we? Tell me all about it. So the Reading Ninja is a community of readers. So we, um, we meaning me, my son, a few friends, and now the ninjas of the world, uh, promote literacy through um, graffiti, social media. Uh, book recommendations, and now we have a reading hotline we just launched. What is a reading hotline? That's what I want to know. So you can call it. It's one eight three three read rad and you can call and get the book of the week recommendation, and you can also leave a recommendation Wow. what you're reading. Yeah. Okay, so you're out there, and you use Instagram. You built a community um, over the last five years. Mm-hmm. So that sounds great. Why the need to be anonymous? I mean, 
we're ninjas, but really uh, it comes down to a lot of the illegal activity we do to spread the word about literacy. We have stickers that we ship all over the world uh, that say reading is rad. We slap them up all over the city. Um, there's been more than 20,000 that have gone out. And then a lot of graffiti that promotes reading. <laughs> okay. You'll just, you know, see it in the headlines one day. Mother of two uh, arrested for graf- vandalism promoting literacy. <laughs> okay. And, and tell me something. So you, you, why did you get this started in the first place? Um, my son. So my son is now 10 when he was five and just learning to read. He had a hard time. He was a reluctant reader. So I was getting a lot of pressure from school about being on level, being getting behind him falling behind. So I decided to make a very conscious decision to not play into that, to not make it a chore or negative. And so I started this account and um, we started posting all the books we loved and all the, the new books coming out, ones that resonated And uh, we found this community, uh, which was a really happy accident, but really it was for him. So you you mentioned this vandalism. I want to go back to that for a second. So what what does that mean? Are you spray painting library walls or what what are you doing? I mean, I don't touch libraries. Those are sacred. So, um, but, you know, New York City has a whole street art culture. And that's something that I've been a part of in the past. But this was kind of the perfect juxtaposition outlet so i i do wheat paste primarily with some spray paint um of i'll take old illustrations of classics go dog go or madeline or and i'll insert the ninja and i'll put wheat paste up all over Wow. Promoting literacy. My my personal favorite as a child was tip and mitten. So if you can do some mm, some tip okay. and mitten related stuff right. uh, and post it, I, I appreciate all it. Right. Uh, <laughs> now, you've been doing all this stuff on Instagram and posting it and sharing it. But also, you are not bound to the online culture. You've also done some stuff in the real world. So how are you taking this into the physical world? Yeah. So we're kind of in the middle of exploring this. And it's really exciting. We have a curated library right now at The Wonder, which is a new family space for members. Which we talked about last week on FOMO Sapiens. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, So they have a beautiful book nook there, and I am very proud to say that that that's actually my personal library of books. Um, So I curated that for them. And then we've been doing book events with authors as well as classes and workshops. So we're kind of in the middle of exploring like what it can be and what the best road to the reluctant readers is. This is, is good. So you're, you're, you're facing the FOBO. It's like, which way should I yeah, go? Definitely. But um, there's lots of ways to overcome that. And the best way is to just try a bunch of stuff and, and follow the leads. See what sticks. See what the audience says. Yeah. Exactly. Now, uh, I, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people are thinking, uh, what is your favorite children's book and what's your kid's favorite book? Okay, that's a great question. So mine, it's such a hard question, though. There's so many, but mine is Where the Wild Things Are. Okay. Um, That's always been my favorite. And then my, I have two, actually, ninjas. Both of them love uh, graphic novels. So I would say my older ninja, he loves the series, the graphic novel series Five Worlds. Okay. And the younger one is in the middle of just learning to read. So his are anything by Mo Willems. There, there's, there's a series called Elephant and Piggy, and those are his favorite. 
I mean, it's no tip mitten, but sounds <laughs> good to me. I think you'd like it. It's pretty good. It's pretty funny. Excellent. Uh, so for those who uh, want to find out more about The Reading Ninja, where can we find you? Right now, uh, the best place to go is Instagram at The Reading Ninja or call us on our hotline. What was that number again? one eight three three read rad All right, Reading Ninja, thanks for stopping by. Thanks so much. FOMO. Big news. You can now pre-order my upcoming book, Fear of Missing Out, Practical Decision-Making in a World of Overwhelming Choice at patrickmcginnis.com slash FOMO sapiens. While you're there, make sure to download my free gift for you, the FOMO Sapiens Handbook, which is an exclusive guide to spotting and managing FOMO and even turning it into a force for good. Just remember, you can find links to all things FOMO Sapiens in the show notes. And if you really don't want to miss out, subscribe to my official newsletter, What Did I Miss? by texting FOMO to 66866 or signing up at patrickmcginnis.com. FOMO Sapiens is part of the HBR Presents Network. The show is produced by AW360 and recorded in New York City. Theme music is by Mike McGinnis. If you like today's show, please be sure to subscribe, rate it, and recommend it to your friends. And as always, you can find me at patrickmcginnis.com. You can also take the official FOMO diagnostic at patrickmcginnis.com slash FOMO dash quiz to find out if you're a FOMO Sapiens. FOMO.